welcome to 7th Level Bardcast. My name's Jason, and I'm here with my co-host, Jared. And today we're talking about focused settings. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. As you uh, might have got from the intro, it's just me and Jared today. Michael is Hello. working on his homework, like a diligent student that he is. Ah, what a nerd. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we uh, picked out a topic that Jared and I think that we can cover together. Uh, I'd say it's probably been on the list since we started this season. Um, I know it's something that I do rather often, so it's, you know, kind of front front loaded in my brain. But uh, so focused settings, what are we talking about? So um, I know when I read a um, usually some sort of a, uh, an expansion on a book, but maybe it's the initial book, um, if it has all of the setting information in it, I choose out something that I say, okay, this is where my game is going to happen. This is the element of that setting that I am most drawn to. And then I will take that and I will refocus it to become the entire setting for my campaign. Um, sort of expanding it out. Uh, and so that to me is what the topic means. But uh, Jared, do you think uh, there's something else that you get out of the term? Um, slightly, yeah. Mainly the fact that it can also, like, include, um, I don't know if you were very explicit, because I tuned out halfway through you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, but it could also involve not just actual pieces from the setting, but the themes of the setting, or just certain aspects that you just want to take and balloon to encompass your entire campaign yeah 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 so, like you just see something in like an offhanded paragraph about how uh there's distortions in space and sometimes people travel faster or shorter between cities and you go what well, you know what i like that let's really hone in and explore on playing with the space available both in nature and in towns, in the party even. Let's have distortions appear in battle, or perhaps they're traveling and they've packed for three months, and then they get there in three weeks. You know, let's just explore what this gives us. Absolutely. I was actually just thinking of uh, an example. Um, when Tales from the Loop came out, um, they did the the series with it, I, which I never finished the last couple episodes. But um, I can already tell you what I would focus on if I ran a Tales from the Loop one. <laughs> well, when they did the the TV series, they focused on this like what was at the heart of Dart, right? The the corporation that runs like yeah. what actually functioned to make all of this. Um, magnetic technology possible and so they created like this sphere that they use that really doesn't get covered in any of the books or even any of the artwork but they chose an element that they created themselves and um they focused in on that and then their stories came from that 
and all all of those stories revolved around this thing and um you know they took a lot of the time elements that were attached to the magnetism as well and and you know they decided this is you know our show is going to involve these elements and i think we do the same things when you create campaigns we say you know i really enjoy this specific topic and i want to make a whole campaign out of it yep now um I'm going to pick on you first because I know I have a shitload of things to say about this topic. So I want to know uh, what have you done. And oh, you know what? Yeah, I have a good idea. I know you read a lot of books. What are the. Don't ask me this. <laughs> no matter what you ask me, you're gonna... you want this to be 10 hours? <laughs> I just want, Jesus, like, one man. or two examples. This doesn't have to be, like, everything. Yeah, but you're going to make me choose one or two examples out of the hundreds that I want to use. <laughs> what about things that Go you ahead, have used? I was actually going to ask of things that you have used, not that you uh, want to use. Oh, um... The first one that pops to mind is actually because I was recently... Uh, listening or investigating the writing of Arcane, the Netflix League of Legends series lately. Uh, one of the characters that you actually complimented and said that you liked a lot is actually a main character in that series. Because I pulled her from League because she's one of my favorite characters, and I twisted her a bit to fit in uh, the cyberpunk uh, Five Aces that Michael gave me to run and she was alone in a clock tower and she likes grenades she had a real crazy style about her she had a bunch of robotics uh out and about just kind of booby trapping the area uh she was uh well very manic and insane and i think everyone who knows arcane or league of legends should be fairly aware of who i'm talking about which is jinx so I took her and I put her in that area because in my mind, ever since uh, League released her and her cinematic, she has basically just been a one-person f- one wrecking ball just careering about the entire area that she is set in. And I really wanted to kind of take that energy and throw it into a very political situation and just basically have almost everyone agreeably hate her (laughs) because they're all doing their 40 chests they're all setting up their glass towers their sand castles and she's just out here bumping into everything and causing havoc and so you guys eventually went and tracked her down and tried to deal with her and I I believe you succeeded in at least knock, knocking her out. Yeah, yeah, I think that's as far as we got uh, yeah. was to knock her out. Because that was, yeah, that was quite the... Um, um, yeah, she's not an easy person yeah. to deal with. There's a reason I think why at one point we collapsed the floor onto ourselves. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, given the amount of booby traps she has around the entire area, I would not doubt that the floor collapsed, if not the entire building. <laughs> Correct? We also, we also had a really 
bad time with our rolls on that, too. Yeah. You guys were actually fairly persistent, though, and managed to get away with it, because uh, even your bad rolls were always in a good, forgiving place. Like, your worst rolls, I think, were uh, when you tried to negotiate through the trap door, mm -hmm. and she agreed, mm -hmm. and then immediately rolled a grenade in through the trap door, which was an outcome of you failing your negotiation. <laughs> Not that she probably would have came anyways, but, you know... <laughs> You might have gotten her to walk up towards you and then headbutt you or something. <laughs> so, <laughs> there were different ways of going about that. But um, that's an example of a character that I really forced to the forefront of the campaign. Because while you guys did go on your own little side missions, she was your very first assignment and something that was in the back of your brains the entire time uh, you guys had downtime, basically. So... Um, that's an example of a character that I've taken from somewhere and transplanted and then ballooned into a very big deal for one reason or another. Um, other things are, uh, crap, what was it? I forget what it was, and I don't think you were a part of, well, were you a part of the wizard tower with all the plant life? No. Okay, Michael was then. Um, basically we had a, a week off and instead of skipping the session because there was, uh, some stuff going on, I put a, uh, a very eccentric wizard who had, uh, a tower up that people had been trying to loot and they kept getting kicked out by like a boot floating and then with pies thrown at them and just all kinds of silly stuff from like a Disney-esque area. And so I incorporated a lot of that with pumpkins coming to life, uh, the koi pond having koi dragons in it uh, that were completely non-hostile, except for very specific scenarios. And I just kind of really tried to embody the feel of um, childish mysticism that Disney often plays off of. Mm. And... Um, I did give a bit of a creepy feel to it. Occasionally I had what appeared to be possibly animated corpses or pumpkins that had grown teeth and were trying to bite people and whatnot. But that's still within the more horror vibe of the Disney landscape, you know? So I really tried to focus in on that. And they ended up staying in that tower for, I think, three sessions or so afterward, which I wasn't expecting. <laughs> and then at one point they wanted to turn it into a base. So that was curious. <laughs> but those are just two examples of a theme and a individual that I've been inspired to really focus something on. And do you feel like um when you when you have something that you can grab onto and pull into the games like that you're interested in, do you feel like it becomes a lot easier to to incorporate that? Like do you feel like that becomes easier for you, or? Yes and no. Yes, it becomes a lot easier to have inspiration with such a focusing, and you have source material to balloon. Um, but it also comes with its own troubles. One which is unique to me is I'm very specific. 
I want to be truer to my source material than I should be, especially in a more freeform game like D&D or any role-playing game, really. So I have to really make sure that I'm not just taking the character and throwing them in, and then I'm actually making them an interesting thing for the party to interact with and that the story can continue with. Which isn't as much of a problem with something like the Disney World kind of theme, because that can just kind of infiltrate its way into everything. Again, you don't really want to force your players down that route, but at the same time, it's a great way of uh, quickly creating scenarios to run through. Uh, The second thing is something we've talked about many times, uh, just being a bit biased. (laughs) When I've created stuff myself or created stuff with the party in mind, the bias helps usually. Whereas if I'm taking something that I really enjoy or that I want to explore, my bias can sometimes work against the party or against the story, and I don't want that to happen for the same obvious reasons. Right. So it comes with its hurdles, but generally I think it's a good way of getting inspiration and plotting out a course. Yeah, and I should say, you know, because, you know, um, we're talking about finding those elements in um you know game books but you know it's it's pretty clear that it can come from anywhere that emblem can you know um come from a book or from a movie or a show or a game and then be inserted into that setting for the game book that you're reading because they're so closely tied um like you know uh while you were talking i was thinking of um the D&D, the one-shot world that I created, because I called it Unku, which is uh, one-shot, basically. Uh, but um, th- initially, when that started as a series of one-shots, I created a world that was based off of um, uh, Never-Ending Story. So I took the movie, The Never-Ending Story, and I incorporated all the German... Um, characters and names from the initial book that was written and i created my whole like setting around that information then when i actually turned it into a campaign um i took the elements of volos where it became like not just like what is this monster and why is it a monster it became what is this race or you know culture and why is it a culture like it became why is this thing around and what are the truths to exist its existence and then i took that even further and said okay how would it actually interact if it wasn't trying to be evil right like how would it become part of the world and not be evil and so then i created you know like full um actually what i did is i took all the monster races um that i wanted to incorporate in my game and i turned them into a civilized race and then i took the civilized ones and i created them as sort of like um underlying monsters like the elves i turned them into like very malicious people like 
or sort of like I took the drow and moved them up above ground and made them into the elves of this world. So yeah, it it became you know that Volos. I attached myself to that one specific element of Volos, and I turned that into a campaign of you know trying to understand the ecology of these races rather than just you know more than a stat block, right? Which we've talked about before. Yeah, um, this is a bit off topic, but I Surprise. love doing exactly that. <laughs> Shut up, you. <laughs> I love doing exactly that by having a being or an entity that has no right to exist and then finding out why it exists and why it's in the story. Um, for example, the medieval ages are very brutal. Uh, if you have any sort of medical conditions, you are unlikely to be alive. There are exceptions, though, because there's magic. So, if you have wealth or skill in magic, you can keep people with certain medical conditions that would not have been able to alive. For example, somebody without kidneys. They could have a magical spell or some other ability which allows them to live even if they do not have functioning kidneys. And I'm talking about other means than the more established ones like regeneration or, you know, all those heal spells that are just, you know, call-outs for the player to heal. <laughs> A lot of which them don't just really regrow get limbs. In the story that yeah. much. Yeah. So I really enjoy doing that on a more smaller scale. I don't do it like uh, you, how you've obviously, you know, thought out a lot more in the culture and the society. Whereas I think of more of individuals when I do that. Right, right. And I think, you know, it's possible um, to do it as just a, a session thing, you know, where, um, I mean, for me, it's always been like, a holiday or some event um, that I might grab onto to just throw into a, a session just to kind of bring it through. Um, you know, I've done a couple holiday ones, but um, there are definitely times when I'm just like, all right, this session's going to be about this theme that I want to cover. Um, but yeah, a lot of times I think out my campaigns of like, how do I want to make this whole world revolve around that one theme that I became interested in because you know if I do that usually it helps me stay interested in it for you know long enough for the campaign to run through <laughs> yep <laughs> yeah because th that is a problem for me it's a really great way of retaining focus and like I said earlier plotting out your course you know if you have something that's going along the entire lane then you know how to stay in that lane and not go into the yards but um i forgot what i was gonna say next <laughs> i think and it, it just completely out of my head okay so i think when we go into character buy-in or player buy-in um i think that is a way to sort of introduce that same concept of focus settings to the players. So like, okay, 
Well, now I have my over-encompassing setting. This is what it looks like. Now, what parts of, or elements do you guys have buy-in to? And I think when I set up my zero sessions and I have you guys as players give me information about, you know, uh, what, you know, what pieces do you want to add to the setting? That kind of tells me where your interests lie in that setting. And so now I get to say, okay, well, I can take those elements and add them into my setting. And now all of us have buy-in together. It's at least that's the goal. It doesn't always function that way, but that is my main goal when I do those zero session buy-in techniques. Yep. It's also a good way of just fleshing out your setting either to, you know, add a little more, more depth and detail to it or to just take what they're giving you and do the same thing you did with your own interest. Balloon it up to size and apply it to everything and see what happens. <laughs> So. Yeah, I think um, the the Tales from Loop was a good one because, you know, um, we kind of explored some technologies um, in the stuff that you guys created um, that might not have been in my campaign if it wasn't for me giving it to you guys to, like, give me that information. Like um, Robert's uh, Bot Bluster video. Um, yeah, we kind of, that's the only one I can think of offhand. Uh, there was also Michael's um, telephone that he created. So it was like, instead of a payphone, it was more like a sort of a cell phone style system um, where like you had a lot more access to the phone lines because they were run by the moving AI. So you could kind of have them come to you or whatever. Oh, um, yeah, that's right. The mobile tel yeah, telephones. Yeah, yeah. That was a fun setting. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I've looked at it. I might go back to it. I mean, it was a great game system. I really liked the system. It just was really hard to run parent-style stuff. So I might look at the Teenage one and see if it kind of eliminates more of the parent element, but maybe not. I don't know. Uh, you can also simplify it and make it interesting at the same time by saying, hey, you are all teenagers at the orphanage of this small town. That way you only have to do one parental figure, and it's one that's overworked because it's not looking after one or two kids. They're looking after probably a dozen. Wow, that's actually And you can good. still have a lot of fun with that kind of setting. Yeah, I like that. That's uh, I might use that. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I I really think there's a lot of. I'll be honest. I enjoyed that setting, but what I was really hoping that we could have done with it was turning it into more of those you know, uh, horror books like St Stephen King's It and whatnot. He did it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I second guessed myself immediately after saying that. <laughs> No, but that's things his. like that that's where, him. sure, we might not die, but we could break our arm or have, you know, our parents decide this area is stressing us out too much and go, hey, for the health of our child, we're going to move away now. And thus you lose your character that way. So there is a bit more management to it because I really felt like, almost like we were invincible because we were. So it lost me... 
that was my big problem with that game. Yeah, and but I think if we could focus in on stuff like that. that we might be talked to um, Jarvis um, about that game, and he was—I think—he was telling us something about how the teenage one was much more gritty, um, where you might be able to die in that one. So I need to pick that one up. I forget what it's called, but um, even something from the water or something is, like that. Um, from the depths. From the depths, yeah, that might be in. I think that was it. But we could either we could even do stuff like Stranger Things, where hey, one of the initial group gets pulled into this Eldritch plane, and we have to go through multiple sessions before we can bring them back. And you might have to play a new character during it. You know, you can really give the player repercussions without doing killing. Yeah, yeah. and. What I actually like about that and why I'm still talking about it is that can really tie into what we just talked about by focusing your setting. If you want to focus your sitting on like that feeling of loss or hopelessness, you could do that kind of stuff. Or you can decide to focus it on, like we've already talked about, Stranger Things, that mysterious plane from that TV show that I've not actually watched, but let's not talk about that. <laughs> um so you can really focus in on that, and it's also nice because while you should be putting your own spin on it, everyone kind of has a grounding reference. They know kind of what you're getting at and where you're going with this, and they know more what to expect and what to have fun with. So, Yeah, I think that's a really good way of looking at um, what we've covered, too, because, um, you know, I we talked a little bit before this, before we recorded, and what we talked about was um, how each little aspect that you might cling on to can create a different game that you're going to play. And if you were to take a diff, you know, play through a campaign focusing on this aspect and then go to a different aspect of that setting and play in that aspect, you would create two different campaigns. And... You know, just in the examples you gave on Tales from the Loop alone, we're talking about, you know, some different games there. You know, putting the kids in an oh, yeah. orphanage and and you're completely creating a different focus on um, what that game looks like and and what becomes yeah, the important. Setting, the setting really clarifies. And from the setting, you then jump off into the other settings or into the main you know, campaign, and you structure it around that. And that's why I think, and I can't remember what the episode was called, but um, one of the things that I tried to focus in on is, uh, you know, I, I didn't see it as much before we did the podcast, but I have, you know, themes that I am drawn to, like post-apocalyptic or, um, you know, cyberpunk or... Um, you know, those are generalized things, but there are also very specific things that I can't even call them out because it it happens while I'm reading the book that I'm like, oh, that's that it, that's it right there. That's the thing that I like. And so I can give you a a good example. Somebody might go, hey, this cyberpunk book sounds great, but all I can focus on is how these mega corporations remind me of like medieval houses and nobles. And, hey, I know that I'm going to be running a game in this noble system 
uh, why don't I focus and bring in that dystopian everything is owned and controlled by a few into this noble game? You strip away a huge amount, and it might not be cyberpunk, but at the same time, by focusing on one aspect of it, you'll be surprised just how much still carries over. It's kind of like drawing a silhouette. Just because there's no details, and there's only the outline, people can still look at it and go, hey, that's a person. Hey, that's a tree. You know, you can really still identify and recognize a lot more than you think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, um... It's crazy. It's crazy the way our mind works. Um, I uh, Our mind works forward against us all the time. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, is there anything else you want to cover on this topic? Or should I give us a wrap-up? Um, I feel like we blasted through a few things, and we should have taken more time on some of them. But <laughs> I'll be honest, uh, I'm going off of two hours of sleep, and I can't really think anymore. <laughs> so I'm kind of just rambling. No, that's fair. And trying not to take up too much time. Well, I think we got across the concept of, you know, what what we think of when we're talking about focus settings and how to use them. And, you know, I mean, obviously one of the best things we, we yeah. do is giving examples of how we do it um, and hopes that that really helps others, you know, get a concept of how to do it on their own. But yes, we spew shit and that becomes the fertilizer for others. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So focus settings, um, I think the best thing that I can hope for you guys to take from this is that, um, you know, find something in a book uh, or a movie or, you know, whatever it is that you want to attach yourself to. But um, read through your your game books thoroughly. Find something that you can attach yourself to and use that to create the campaign from because you will find that you are more interested in it and you will have an easier time selling it to your players and they will have an easier time buying into that. Um, and then take that zero session to really delve into where all of you find the interest in that setting and create your shared narrative. So, uh, yeah, before we go, uh, just a quick reminder that we have a Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com backslash 7th Level Bardcast. Um, and we would like to give a shout out to those of who have backed us so far. Uh, Flump Pucker, Robert K., and Tarfan Caravan. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Hopefully you can go out and find your own uh, focused piece of a setting that you want to create a campaign off of. This has been Jason. And this has been Jared. Bye-bye. This has been a production of 7th Level Bardcast, copyright 2021. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to 7th Level Bardcast. You can find links to previous shows, resources, and our social media at 7thLevelBardcast.com. Also, connect with us through our Discord link on the website. 
We invite our audience to offer feedback, suggest a topic, or for a quick conversation. To support the show, like, subscribe, and review on your favorite podcatcher. Music provided by Arthur Vinkey.